It's nice to see you today. We're in part five of our series on the miracle of mercy. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's going to be a total of eight messages altogether. Uh, we've been meeting on Wednesday nights, watching a video together based on the same subject and discussing it. Some of you guys bought the books with the daily devotionals in them. And it's, it's really been a powerful time, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. One of the purposes of the Miracle of Mercy series is to help us understand what God is like. A lot of people have misconceptions of God, the view of God. What this shows us is every good thing is a gift from God. It's His mercy. Relationships, that's a gift from God. Your, your talents, your abilities, going to heaven... I mean, all these things are God's gift to us. If you look at Titus 3, 5, it says, Jesus saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. It's what he did. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. It's all about what God did. I'm never going to be good enough to reach God. He's good enough to reach me. And that's what he did. He, when Jesus died on the cross to pay off the penalty of our sins... We're forgiven. The penalty's been paid. Now I can have that relationship with God, but it's his mercy. It's a, it's a free gift from him. In Luke 19.10, it says, it's uh, Jesus speaking, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's a part of his mercy. He came to seek us. He came to save us. That's the ultimate expression of mercy, that God would come to earth as a man and reach out seeking us, trying to draw us to him. See, a lot of times we think the real issue is, am I seeking God? And we do need to seek God. But what we don't realize is God is seeking you. God is trying to reach out to you. He does that because he loves you. In passages like this, you see people categorized as saved and lost. Doesn't matter what your religious background is, doesn't matter your income, your education, it categorizes people as saved and lost. But I want to look at that word lost, because some people might see that as a negative. If someone says they're lost, what does it imply when you're lost? It implies that you're very valuable. It implies that you're very valuable. When you lose something, you don't even think of it as being lost unless you want it. Unless it's something you're seeking for. Unless it's something you want to find. I've lost things before that I didn't care about. You know, you have pins and then you lose your pen. You don't care. You don't spend the whole day seeking to find it. Because it has no value to you. You don't even think about it. But if something's lost and you're talking about it, it's because it has value to you. You want to find it. It's very important to you. If I were to lose this ring... It has value to me because of the meaning. This is something my wife gave me. It's a symbol of our commitment to one another. It's a symbol of our love to one another. What does it mean when someone says, we lost a member of our family? That word lost means it's valuable. When you lose a family member, that's a major loss. It never implies that it's not important. Do you know when a masterpiece of art is somehow lost, its value goes up? It actually became more valuable once it was lost. 
So when Jesus is saying, using the word, there's people that are saved and there's people that are lost, it's not a put down. It's saying there's people that I'm seeking for. I want to find them. He's saying they have great value to him. There's three questions I want to look at today. What do I lose when I'm spiritually lost? Second, what does God's mercy do when I'm lost? And third, how can I experience God's mercy? And these three questions are answered in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at the stories there. There's three stories in that passage. One story is about a lost sheep. The other one's about a lost coin. And the third story is about a lost son. And I'm going to share a little bit about these stories. But in the first story, you have this sheep that was lost. The shepherd represents God. The sheep represents us. And the shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one gets lost. And the shepherd doesn't say, well, that's too bad. I'm going to stay with the 99 that aren't lost. What he does is he says, that one sheep, just one of them, because it's lost, that sheep is valuable to me, and I'm going to leave the 99 and seek to find that sheep, to save it from harm, to seek and to save. It's a symbol of what God does for us, that we're valuable to him. Then Jesus gives a story of a lost coin. It's a woman. She represents God in the story. And the coin represents us. And she somehow loses this coin and it's very valuable to her. She has 10 coins total. But she loses one and she doesn't say, well, I still have nine. That's good enough. She actually seeks and cleans and looks and does all this type of stuff until she finds that coin. And the interesting thing is, going back to the shepherd, when the shepherd finds the lost sheep and brings it home, he's so happy he throws a party for all the other people there. To celebrate, I found my lost sheep. And when this lady finds her lost coin, which was very valuable to her in that time, she throws a party for her friends. Hey, I found it. You know, I lost it, now I found it. The idea is that God is that excited about finding us, that he throws a party. The third story is about the lost son. In this story, the father is God and the son is you and I. It's us. And what happens is the son wants his inheritance. He's a rebellious son. His dad isn't even dead yet, and he wants his money now. And then he takes the money, and he wastes it all on wild living. But he eventually runs out of money. And once he runs out of money, he eventually runs out of friends. He had a lot of friends when he had a lot of money that he was spending on wild living. But when he runs out of money, he runs out of friends. He finds a job taking care of pigs, which Jesus puts that in the story because they're Jewish. You know, this is a Jewish community and they're kosher. And the worst thing that you want to deal with is pigs. Pigs were considered unclean to the Jewish people. So he has the worst job that you can imagine. And he comes to his senses and he says, being a servant at my dad's house is better than this. I know I'm not worthy enough to be his son again because I've, after all the bad things I've done, I can't be a son. He'd never accept me back. But... Maybe he'll hire me as a servant. If he hires me for a ser- as a servant, I'm going to get a better life. So he goes back to be his father's servant. But when his father sees him, his father just sees him and runs out to him and grabs him and hugs him and kisses him and has a big party. My son was lost. Now he's found. He didn't make him a servant. He was just thrilled to see his son. So they have a big party again. 
And these are all three stories that Jesus told to help us to understand God's love for us. That if you're lost, the idea was, if someone's lost, it must mean that God's mad at them. If someone lost, God's going to zap them. And Jesus was saying, you guys don't understand God. If someone's lost, they are so valuable to God that he does everything he can to seek them and to find them. We always hear, seek God with all your heart. Good, do that. But do you know that God is seeking you with all of his heart? He's loving you. He's reaching out to you. He cares about you. He's seeking you to connect with you. So let's answer these questions. What do I lose when I'm spiritually lost? First of all, I lose my direction. We see this in the story of the lost sheep. Sheep naturally tend to wander off. It's just the way they are. And what this story is telling us is describing what we are like as people. We naturally tend to wander away from God. Look at Isaiah 53, 6. All of us have strayed away just like lost sheep. That means me. That means you. We've all, that's all of us again, we've all left God's path to follow our own ways. So all of us have strayed away just like lost sheep. He's using sheep because it's a great example of what we do. Sheep just naturally, they'll eat grass, they'll look over there and they'll walk over there, and they don't pay attention to the dangers around them. That's why they cannot survive without a shepherd. And he's saying, we're the same way. We just kind of naturally just move away from God, move away from God, move away from God, and sometimes we don't even notice it. We're getting so busy with life and running after this and running after that that we're getting farther and farther away from God. And before we know it, he's not even a part of our life. Have you ever started a daily quiet time and then you get a little bit busy and then you're reading your Bible and praying three times a week? Then you get a little bit busy and before you know it, you say, I don't think I've had a time with God for months. I used to pray every morning and and it's probably been eight months since I've been doing that. And you didn't even notice, you didn't see it coming. It's just, you naturally just go away, go farther away, go farther away. And before you know it, I haven't been to church for two years. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't that, that happens to us. That's what happens. We have this natural way of drifting away from God. The other thing that I lose, not just my direction, I lose God's protection. We find that also in the story of the lost sheep. See, sheep are vulnerable. They're, they're defenseless. Do you know, I don't know how this works because of, of how things go, but it seems like that for sheep to exist, from the beginning of time, they had to have shepherds. From the beginning of time. It makes you think about things like, if evolution is really true, how did that happen? Because sheep can't defend themselves. They don't have sharp teeth. They can't run as fast as uh, other animals. They're the most... If, if sheep didn't have shepherds, they would be extinct. Wolves would have already taken them. They have no defense. They can't run as fast. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws. They have nothing in the animal kingdom to keep them alive. They're just food <laughs> for the wolves and the bears. and Whatever wants them, they're easy picking. They cannot exist. The only way that, that, that they can exist is with shepherds. Is that amazing? That's an amazing thing. 
We're like that. We sometimes might think that we can do more, but God is saying, no, I'm protecting you. I'm your shepherd. I'm here to make sure that you're okay. Look at Zechariah 10 too. My people are wandering like lost sheep without a shepherd to protect and guide them. We need a shepherd. We need God to protect and guide us. In Psalms 23, it talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I need that good shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. We need God. We're defenseless toward sin. We're defenseless toward temptation. I need a power greater than myself to help me. There's a lot of things that can mess up my life in this world. I need God in the center of my life to guide me in the right direction. I want his word to influence me so I make the right choices with my life because the wrong choices can really mess up my life. It can really hurt me. A third thing is I lose my potential. I lose my potential to do great and good things when I'm lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means to be disconnected from God. Well, that's what that word means. Like when I'm not connected to God, when I've been disconnected from God, I don't have the same potential that I have when I'm with him. It's like the story of the lost coin. When you lose that coin, does the coin lose its value? No. If I had uh, five, you know, gold dollar coins or something and I lost all five of them, they would still be worth $5. They don't lose any value when they're lost. They're just as valuable. The only thing is they're not usable. You can't use a coin that you can't find. You can't use a coin if, you, if it's lost. So when you're lost, God wants to use your life for great things. He wants to, but you can't use it if you're lost. You get enough coins together, you could feed a family, build a business, save a life, maybe afford to pay for some sort of medical procedure, create beauty, have a great vacation. There's a lot of things that you can do if you have enough coins, if you have enough money. The value is there. If you lose your money, you can't find it. No matter how much it's worth, you cannot, it's, it cannot be used. It cannot do any of those good things that you want to do with it because it's lost. It's not worthless. It's worth just as much as it was before. It's just the fact that it's lost makes it the potential go away. You can't use it when it's lost. God made you to do great things. You have no idea what God wants to do with your life, how good he wants to use your life for great things if you're available to him. But if you're lost, if you're not connected to him, it won't happen. It can't. You can never reach your highest potential apart from your creator. And you might be having success in the eyes of the world and you're empty on the inside. Because you find out success doesn't really make you happy. Sometimes it makes paying the bills easier. It can take away some stress. But it doesn't really make you happy. We want to be happy on the inside. We want to have healthy relationships. All the things that we learn from our relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, No one has ever seen or heard or even imagined the wonderful things God has prepared and arranged for those who love him. It's saying you can't imagine the great things that God wants to do with your life. But if the coin is lost, no matter how valuable it is, you can't use it. A fourth one is I lose my happiness. When I'm disconnected 
from God, I lose my happiness. This is the story of the lost son. Remember the son, he's rebellious. He wants his inheritance. He doesn't care about his dad or anything. And then he goes out and he ends up losing everything that he had. He lost his happiness too. Look at Luke 15, 14. The younger son wasted all he'd been given. So he wasted it all. And eventually he became miserable. Circle that word miserable. He became miserable and lonely. Circle miserable. Circle lonely. He's not happy anymore. What happens when you're lost is you're not happy anymore. You get miserable. I've heard stories of this guy that was in the snow and he got lost. He was on a snowmobile and it had some sort of problem. He got lost trying to get back. He thought he could find his way back. He thought he could walk back and he got lost and he was miserable. He was out there freezing to death. He ended up losing a couple of toes. I think he lost a finger from the cold. By the time they found him, he ended up making it back. But you know what? When he was lost, he was miserable and he was lonely. It's a, it was horrible. It's never a happy time to be lost. Like, oh, I'm lost. I'm so happy. We're driving somewhere and I'm trying to get somewhere. Oh, we're lost. I'm so happy. Maybe if you're on the way to the dentist and you get lost, you might say, okay, this is okay. But when you're lost in general, you're not happy about that. You can find people that are rich and famous and miserable. How is that? They've got all the fame that you might want. They have all the money that you might want. And they have all the misery that you would never want. What does that tell you? It tells you fame and money isn't what makes you happy. You can have those things that be the most miserable person around. God created you for harmony. But when we're separated from God and we're not following his way, we're, going to be, we're not going to have harmony with one another. We're going to have conflict, resentment, guilt, regret. Our nature is to be self-centered. When we're self-centered, we're going to repel people. We're not going to draw them closer to us. Do you feel close to God or do you feel separated from God? One thing I've learned is you can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be as close to God as you want to be. When you're going through hard times and he feels a million miles away because of your own emotions, you can still, be, you can still choose to be close to him. And when you're not going through hard times and he feels close to you, you can choose to be distant from him. It's my choice in how close I want to be with God. God wants to be close to me, always. It's my choice on what I do with that. I can choose to be close to him or not. Another thing is I lose my home in heaven. Do you know that God allows people to rebel he gives everybody in this room a free choice. In other words, you don't have to worship God. You don't have to love God. You don't have to live for God. Nobody here has to do those things. God is never going to force you to love him. He won't. Because that wouldn't be real love anyway, right? Like if God says, you have to love me. Nope. You don't have to worship him. You can thumb your nose at God. You can curse God. You can hate God. You have the freedom to have nothing to do with God. It's totally up to you. But one day you are going to die and stand before God. In Luke, Jesus said, 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world if he loses his own soul? What good is it if I get my picture on the cover of Time magazine if I lose my own soul? What is it if I you know, have all the things this world has to offer but I lose my own soul? What's the use? What's the use of living if I'm disconnected with my creator? I say, what am I choosing to act like is more important than eternity or my relationship with God? Or even my relationship with other people? What am I acting like is more important than knowing God? These three stories tell us ways that people get spiritually lost. Like the sheep, we naturally tend to just walk away from God. It happens so slowly. Oh, I used to be so close to him. What happened? Step by step, we're, we're just not fellowshipping with him anymore. Like the coin. The coin somehow got knocked off the table and got lost. And sometimes circumstances knock us off our feet. And we feel hurt. And we're angry at God by the things that happen. And we just turn away. Sometimes it's own choices. Like the lost son. He actually knew the father, and by his own choice, rebelled against him. Sometimes we just choose, knowingly, to just turn our back on God. There's a lot of forces around you that don't want you to connect to God. There are people that don't want you to connect to God. There are things that don't want you to connect with God. There's values and events. I can be doing so many good things, because most people, I don't think we're filled with the room of people out there doing wicked, evil things. The number one thing that keeps you away from God is good things. I can get so busy doing good things that I don't have time for the best things. Think of a marriage. Think about a marriage. Most marriages that drift apart, it's usually not one of the two people out there doing something really evil. Usually it's not. It's two people that get caught up in a lot of stuff that's good, but they neglect the most important thing. I can get so busy giving attention to my kids that I'm not giving enough attention to my wife. Is it bad? Is it a bad thing for me to give attention to my kids? No, it's a good thing. But I can be so busy giving attention to my kids that I don't give my attention to my wife. I can be so busy giving my attention to work, which brings money home for the family, which we desperately need. But I can be so busy doing that that I don't have enough time to give attention to my wife. Most of the things that cause a relationship to slowly separate, it's not two people out there doing evil, wicked things. It's just that we get so busy doing good things that we forget the most important thing. And I need time with my wife. She needs time with me. We can't be so busy doing something that we don't connect. And that happens slowly and over time, over time. Then the people, they don't feel close to each other anymore. They don't have those loving feelings anymore. And it's two good people that slowly drift away. I'm telling you, the biggest enemy that you have, the average person in a room like this, the biggest enemy that you have isn't some wicked thing out there. The biggest enemy that you have is you can get so busy doing good things that you don't do the right thing, the most important thing. That's why you want to have your priorities. Because there's a lot of things out there that will grab your attention and get you so busy you don't have time to pray. 
If I get so busy that I don't have time to read my Bible, I'm too busy. Come on. If you get so busy you can't read your Bible, you're too busy. There's something that has to go. If I get so busy I don't have time for my wife, I'm too busy. If I get so busy I don't have time for my kids, I'm too busy. So it's about balance. But you can only balance when you know what the priorities are. What's the most important thing? And you want to make sure that you have that balance in your life. One thing that we see in the story about everything that's lost, you can fill this in in your notes, I don't lose my value. It doesn't mean that you lost your value. I might be lost spiritually, but I haven't lost my value. I may have lost my direction, my protection, my potential, my happiness, my home in heaven, but I'm still super valuable to God. So much that Jesus came to seek those who are lost. Wow. You mean, even if I turn my back on God and I hate God and I don't want anything to do with God, I'm valuable to God? Yes. I'm so valuable that Jesus came to die to pay up the penalty of my sins. Wow. You know, you can tell about the value of something based on what somebody's willing to pay for it. There are people that make these super homes. They buy these super homes, and they say the, the value of that home is, I say, $20 million. And they're like, but when it goes up for, to be sold, nobody wants to buy it. So they thought, well, what's it really worth? Well, he may be put in $20 million into it, but the type of people that buy $20 million homes want their own home. They have their own idea. They say, oh, I've always wanted a home like this, 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 this. And what they want is they want the piece of land. They want you to tear down the house that you built worth $20 million so they can build what they want. So you have a $20 million home and nobody wants it. So then the price goes down, down. A lot of times people that buy the biggest homes and it's, it's amazing, nobody else wants it. And there's so few people in that category to look for homes like that. So it actually becomes worthless if, you're trying, if you've moved to somewhere else and it's just sitting there empty. You're thinking, how is that possible? Because it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay. It's not worth the value that you put into it. It's only worth what someone's willing to pay. You're only worth what someone's willing to pay for you. But when God comes to earth as a man and is willing to bleed and die for your sins, he says, I'm willing to come to earth as a man. I'm going to die on the cross to pay off the penalty of your sins. You're worth my blood. God is saying that to you. You're worth me dying for you. That's how important you are for me. When you understand that, you understand, wow, I am more valuable than I could ever imagine. You are more valuable than you could ever dream of knowing. Now, in your notes, how does God's mercy save me? We've heard the word salvation, but what does that mean? Well, first of all, salvation rescues me from myself. I need to be saved from me. Your biggest problem isn't other people. Your biggest problem is you. My biggest problem for my life is me. It's the mistakes that I've made, decisions I've made that didn't work out right. You know, God saved me from myself. I was counseling this guy who went through five failed marriages. 
there was one common denominator. It was him. And he was never going to have a happy, healthy marriage unless he made some changes. That was the only way. He would have a sixth-failed marriage, a seventh-failed marriage. Because the biggest problem that we have is our own fears that hold us back, our own anxieties, our own misconceptions about God, our misconceptions about somebody else. You know, I need God to save me from me. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. He became a human and gave himself to rescue all of us. Circle the word rescue. Because what this is saying is, I need rescuing. I need to be rescued. Some people might think, I don't need to be rescued. I would say, are you saying you have no pain? No problems? No pressure? You're living at total peace, no worries, no fear, no anxiety, no guilt, no regret, no resentment, no conflict. I think if someone doesn't believe that they need rescuing, they're out of touch with reality. I need rescuing. I need God to save me from me. I'm my biggest problem. There are things, there are things I don't like about myself that I want to have changed. I want to improve on. And if I had the ability to do it on my own, I would have already done it. So I need something greater than me. I need God's help. You need God's help. I need God to rescue me, and you need God to rescue you. In Psalms 50, 15, it says, Trust me in your times of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. So what I do is I say, I know I'm not good enough to do it on my own, so I'm trusting God. God, you've got to do it in my life. I've tried. I just can't pull it off. I need your help. I need a power greater than myself. Number two, Salvation recovers my potential, that God-given potential that was being wasted. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and worn out from caring too much. Learn to trust and rest in me, and you'll recover your life. What have you lost in your life that you would like to recover? Your joy? You had a dream that you've lost? Your hope? Your strength? Your innocence? your reputation, your confidence. There's things that we've lost that we want to recover. And God is saying, I want to help you with that. I want to help you to recover what you've lost. That coin that was lost, it's still valuable. It's still valuable. You're valuable to to God. He still has great things for you. He wants to help you to recover. One thing about a coin A coin doesn't know it's lost. Sometimes we're like that. We're lost and we don't even know it. A coin doesn't know it needs to be recovered. We're like that. Sometimes we don't even know that we need it. Like, I didn't know I was lost. I didn't know I needed to be recovered. Sometimes we're that way. Look at Joel 2, 25. I will give you back what you lost in the years when the locusts ate all your crops. The locusts came and ate all the crops. But God said, I will give you back what you lost. Think about that. That's the God of the Bible. He's in the business of giving you back what you lost. That shows his character. That shows the heart of God. I will give you back what you lost. Is it your confidence that you lost? Your plans, your dreams, your hopes? I've lost these things. God says, I want to give it back to you. I want to give you back what you lost. Some people say, well, I've lost so many years, it's too late. It's never too late. 
The goal is to make the rest of your days the best of your days. It's not about looking back at what I've done. It's looking forward to a future that's brighter. Make the rest of your days the best of your days. Number three, salvation connects me to God. Remember the father in the story? He represents God. Salvation reconnects me to God. The son needs to be reconnected to his father in that story. Look at 2 Corinthians. Anyone who connects to Christ becomes a new person. The past is forgotten and everything becomes new. God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. We make a barrier between ourselves and God like the son just rebelled and left his dad. And Christ came to bring peace between you and God. Every time I choose my way over God's way, I'm in conflict with God. I have a conflict. God is saying, go this way, but I refuse and I go that way. Christ came to bring me back to the Father. He's saying, don't have that conflict. Come back. He's here to bring us back together. That's why he dies on the cross, to pay off our sin. The Bible says God is so holy, he can't have anything to do with sin. So Jesus comes and dies on the cross, paying off the penalty of our sin, so we can be back together. So you can have a a relationship with God, not because of what you did to make the relationship right, but because of what Jesus did to make the relationship right. The next in your notes, it says, how do I connect with God's mercy? Well, I would suggest that you do the same things that that son did when he turned back to his father. First, get fed up with my life. That's the starting point. Nothing happens until I'm discontent with where I am. When I understand I'm not happy living without God. I'm not happy living with worry and stress and fatigue and all this pressure. I'm not happy like that. I want to live with God. I want his guidance. I want to trust him. I want to believe that somehow he's going to work it out. Because sometimes I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm saying, God, you've got to work it out. In Luke 15, in these verses, it said things like this. He wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. Then he finally came to his senses. And that's what has to happen is if I want to have a relationship with God, I've got to come to my senses. I've got to realize this life that's not really in the direction that God wants me to go isn't good for me. It's messing me up. So I come to my senses. I say, I'm going back to the Father. Unless we come to our senses, unless we get to the point where we recognize I'm discontent with the life going in a different direction from God, we'll never go to the Father. Refuse to live in a way that's not going to be best. Look at Jeremiah. You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. This is the part where I seek God. Remember, we've been reading, God seeks you, God seeks you, God seeks you. And you find out that you're not happy living in a life that's not going in the right direction. So what do you do? You turn around, now you seek him. Two people seeking one another. And that's where God wants you to get you. He wants you to turn back. It's like he can chase after you, but if you keep running away, what good is that? He wants you to run toward him. You know, do you know the reason most people never get connected to God? I'm going to tell you it's the truth. People are happy living without God. People are happy. You might think, how can they be happy? Living without God. A lot of people haven't hit bottom yet. 
A lot of people haven't hit bottom yet. A lot of people haven't had a spiritual awakening. So they're fine without God. But when you have an encounter with God, you, you'll never be happy again apart from him. When you're living with God, you're never going to be happy to be separated from him. Number two, own up to my sin. That's the second thing the young man did. He admitted it. He blew it. What he had done was not the right thing. You're just being honest with yourself and God. It's not like God doesn't know, but you're just being, it's you being honest with him. In Luke 15, 17 and 18, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you. There's that moment of clarity where you're saying, my life is not where God wants it to be. And you come and clean to yourself. Deep inside, you knew it all the time. You already knew that your life wasn't on the right track, but there comes a point where you own up to it and you confess it. You know what? My life isn't on the right track. It's like when that person finally admits that they're an alcoholic. Everybody knows they're an alcoholic. Their family members know they're alcoholic. Their friends know, but they're, they're in denial. And there comes that point where that person finally owns up and says, you know, I admit it, I am an alcoholic. But until they do that, there's no hope for them, really. And it's the same way with me. Until I finally own up and realize I'm not really going for God. Until I admit that, I'm not going to change. You've got to own up to it. Be honest with yourself. Everybody else knows, but you have to be honest with yourself. Then number three is offer up myself. Notice the change in the attitude of the young man when he returned back to his dad. When he left, he says, it says, the son drifted away saying, give me my share. Very self-centered. Give me. But then when he comes back, he, it says he returned to the father saying, make me a servant. He went from give me to make me. He went from self-centeredness, what I want, to other-centeredness or God-centeredness. God, what do you want? Make me your servant. He was concerned about what God would want, not what he wanted. You're valuable. You're so valuable to God that that's why Jesus came. He loves you. But still, for me to recognize that and to get the benefit of that, I've got to change my heart from, from give me to make me. Make me your servant, God. I have to be transformed in my heart or I'm not going to reap the benefit of what God wants to do. In Luke 15, 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Circle the word, ran out. This is an amazing story to me because it's the only passage in the Bible that you ever see God run. And what does he do? He runs after you to give you a hug and a kiss. My son's back. My daughter's back. The only time God ever runs in the whole Bible, he runs to give you a hug and a kiss. Isn't that amazing? You never see God ever run anywhere, uh, any other time other than here to say, welcome home. You were lost, but now you're found. When you get so excited, I see, you know, this man sitting in a rocking chair, you know, hanging out, and he sees his son coming up the road who's been lost, who's gone the wrong way, and he's returning back home. And you get so excited that you pop out of the chair 
and you can't wait to see him. So this old man goes running down there. It wasn't a young man. It's an old man. And he's running down there to see his son. And his son is going to try to say, I know I blew it. I'm not good enough to be your son anymore. Make me your servant. Anything's better than being without you. And you're just running down there. That's the last thing on your mind. You just can't wait to see your daughter or see your son and give them a hug and a kiss and say, welcome home, and then throw a big party because my daughter, my son was lost, but now they're found. That's God chasing after you. If God has a better life for you, why would you want to stay anywhere else? In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, right now God is ready to welcome you. Today he's ready to save you. So the whole point is, God wants to give you the best life ever. God loves you more than what you can imagine. What we do is we go to him. Okay, God. Okay, God. I'm yours. I'm yours. These three stories tell you how much you matter to God, how valuable you are, how much you're worth. Look at John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. Wow. You're valuable to God. You're so important to God. Let's pray. Dear God, we accept your mercy. We realize that we need to be rescued. There are things in our life that we don't like, that we want to change, and we need your help. Lord, We ask that you recover our potential. There's things that we've lost that we want back. We're asking for your help. Lord, we want to be connected to you. I don't want to be at war with you, Lord. I don't want to have conflict with you. I want to be at peace with you. I admit that I'm fed up living any sort of life that's outside of your will. I admit that I do the wrong things, that I've blown it. I need you to rescue me from me. And Lord, I'm making a commitment today to give my life to you. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to mess up. But I'm giving my life to you. And I'm trusting you to help me along the way. It's in Jesus' name that I make this commitment. Amen.